in recent years, there's been an explosion of so-called social experiment videos on YouTube. These claim to test a stereotype or assumption by filming real people reacting to certain circumstances. Now, most of the time I have to admit that I'm really uncomfortable with those sorts of videos. It seems really unfair to put people to the test like this. And some of them really are no more than pranks designed to set up, make fun of, or catch people at their worst. But sometimes these kind of videos show people at their best. Have a little look at this one, please. I wonder what we would do if we saw someone in need like that. Would we stand idly by? Would we leave it to someone else? Or would we be one of those ones who would give their gloves or their scarf or their jackets, their care or their love and their time to people? Or maybe this morning we should really be thinking of a, of a more challenging question like that. Not what would we do, but what are we doing? Because as we live in this community, in this county, in this country, and even in this world, we are surrounded by people who are in need. Some of their needs are more, more obvious than others, but all around people are in need. So what are we doing about that? Are we responding? Are we caring? Are we reaching out to others? In this fifth beatitude, Jesus said that the blessed life is lived by those who are willing to help. Let's read it together in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, just one verse again, so you can have a listen to it, or you can find it in your Bibles and read it out, read it with us. Verse 7 says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Mercy is something that we should all be familiar with as Christians. Because it's the mercy of God is the reason why we're here this morning. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul declared the depth of a problem with sin and the awful consequences of this when he said, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Because of our rebellion against God, because of the fact that we'd gone against his ways, we were disobedient, we were dead, and we were doomed. We'd failed to live up to God's standards. And as a result, we stood guilty before him. Our sin had separated us from God and from the life that he alone can give. And the reality was that we were powerless to change that. There was nothing that we could do to save ourselves. Nothing that we could do to remove that stain of sin. Nothing that we could do to make ourselves right with God. We were hopelessly lost and heading to a hopelessly lost eternity. But this desperate situation changed because of the mercy of God. Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. 
even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. On the cross, Jesus took upon himself our sin. He accepted the condemnation that we deserved. He suffered the wrath that should have been ours. He paid that price in full. He died in our place. And so if we have humbly come before God, if we have admitted our sinfulness and our guilt, if we have accepted our powerlessness and our desperate need, if we have simply put our trust in Jesus, in his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection, then the Bible assures us that we have been saved. We're no longer dead in our sins. Instead, we are now alive with Christ. Our sins have been forgiven. Our debt has been cleared. Our guilt has been removed forever. And we are now children of God. Declared righteous in God's sight. Adopted into his family and accepted as citizens of heaven. And this is all because of God's amazing mercy. We deserved his condemnation and his wrath. Instead, he unconditionally poured out his love for us. We were his enemies, yet he still valued and treasured us. We were guilty, yet he was willing to pay the ultimate price on the cross, simply to bring us to himself. This is the amazingly rich mercy of God. And it's this mercy that God is looking for in our lives. He wants us to be merciful to others as he has been to us. Jesus said, be merciful just as your father is merciful. As our God is so rich in mercy, then his children who are called to reflect his image and declare his glory must also be characterized by this attitude of mercy. Of course, this isn't easy or simple. It's much easier just to look after ourselves. It's much easier just to care for those who care for us. It's much easier to be nice to those who are nice to us. Being merciful is not our natural reaction. Jesus famously illustrated this in what we all know as the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Such a well-known story, but it helps us to understand more fully what it is to be merciful. And to think about how we should express it in our lives. So we're going to read it together, this very well-known passage in Luke chapter 10. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to break in in verse 30. Luke chapter 10 and verse 30, and we're going to read down to verse 37. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers 
They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the, the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus didn't exactly tell us what the priest or the Levite felt or thought when they saw this beaten up and dying man lying by the side of the Jericho Road. Maybe they were afraid that the robbers were still hiding in the shadows. Were they afraid that it was a trap, a setup? Were they in too much of a hurry to get to their destination? Or were they concerned that touching this possibly dead body would make them unclean for their really important religious duties? We don't know what they were thinking. But their actions demonstrated the state of their hearts. Whatever their reasons or excuses, when they passed by on the other side, they clearly showed that they didn't care enough. In our lives we will always be able to find reasons or excuses for not expressing mercy. Often we just don't know what to do or we don't feel that we know what to do. We don't know exactly how to help. We feel that we're not an expert in those kind of situations. Or we're too busy. Or we're too tired. Or we're afraid that we'll get too involved. Or get used. Or we'll get hurt. And disappointed. But the Samaritan was different because he took pity on him. He opened up his heart to this man. He let this man's hurt and pain impact him so much that he had to do something to help. He cared deeply for him. That's what it means to be merciful. It means that we don't turn away. It means that we don't take the easier option. Instead, it means we open up our hearts and allow the suffering of others to impact us. This is what Jesus did. In Matthew chapter 9 and 36, it says this, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus saw those people, he responded to it from deep within him 
Jesus felt that sympathy, that love, that concern for these people. And it was this compassion that motivated him to act in healing, in teaching, and in providing for this crowd. And it was this compassion that moved the Samaritan to give of himself in a similarly sacrificial way. It says in verse 34 of Luke 10, he went to him. He stopped. Even though it was a clearly a dangerous part of the road, he put his own life in danger for the sake of this man. And he washed and he dressed his wounds using his own valuable resources. He put him on his own donkey using his own means of transport. He took him to an inn to recover, taking the time to look after him and also being willing to pay the bill. And in our lives, there will always be a cost involved in being merciful. Maybe it will be our time as we stop and listen and care. Maybe it will be our resources as we give to those who are more in need of what we have than we are. Sometimes it will be our pride as we need to humble ourselves and serve other people. Maybe it's our reputation as we associate with those who are on the edge of society. Often it will be our tears as we enter into their heart and enter into their pain. It will certainly be our plans and our goals as we have to lay them aside so that we can help other people. But this is what Jesus did. And we are called to do the same. 1 John chapter 3 and 6 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Being merciful is about a willingness to give. Even when it hurts. Even when it's costly. But it's also about keeping on giving. Helping out in a crisis is costly. But sometimes it's the consistent help that challenges us even more. Just now, around the world, everybody is very aware of the migrant crisis, the refugee crisis, especially in Europe. It's it's headline news, isn't it? It's in every news report. And the pictures are horrific of things that are happening just not not that far away from us. But I'm sure you've realised that often what happens is in a couple of months those issues will no longer be the top of the news items. And people have moved on to something else will be be the focus of the world. But the problems and the difficulties of many of these people that will be ongoing for many years to come. And it's right that the world wants to respond and help to these people in their immediate need, in their crisis. But are we willing also to get involved in the consistent, the ongoing, the long-term help that people need? This Samaritan, he didn't just provide for this man's immediate need and then go on his way. 
He promised to continue to provide for his needs. He told the innkeeper, verse 35, look after him and when I return, I will reimburse you for any expense that you have. So being merciful is not just a one-off act of compassion. It's about a lifestyle of consistently reaching out to those in need. Helping those who are suffering. Caring for those who are hurting. Again and again and again. And that's where it really becomes difficult. That's where it becomes really challenging. But this is what God's mercy is like. There's these wonderful couple of verses in Lamentations chapter 3. 22 and 23, it says this, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's mercy is new every morning. And those who are blessed are ready each day to reach out in mercy. To those who are in need. But of course, for many of us, the most surprising thing about this parable that Jesus told is who Jesus chose to be the hero of the story. He was a Samaritan, he was the last person, the last person an injured Jew would have expected to help. Because the relationship between Jews and Samaritans was strained, to say the least. The reasons for that were political, were racial, and were religious. And had been happening down through the centuries. In fact, the Samaritans included some of the people who, had, who had, were part of the northern kingdom of Israel. That had broken off from, from Judah eh, about a thousand years earlier. But there would also been intermarriage with other migrants into the area. And so they were seen as racially impure. They were also seen as kind of, had gone away from the truth because they'd set up their own temple on Mount Gerizim. And incorporated other false ideas into the religious system. And so John chapter 4 and verse 9 says, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Literally, they hated each other. And they didn't want anything to, to do with each other. And so when this Samaritan stopped and cared for this Jewish man, he was loving someone who would usually have ignored him, have rejected him, have despised him, even hated him. And so his love was not only sacrificial and consistent. His love was unconditional. In no way was it based on who this man was or what he had done for him or what he would do for him. He loved him just because he loved him. And so being merciful doesn't only include caring for those who are in need. It also includes an unconditional love that leads us to forgive those who have hurt us. Those who have rejected us. Or those who have sinned against us. 
As Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So this is what Jesus said the blessed life looks like. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who deeply care about those who are suffering. Blessed are those who give sacrificially to those who are in need. Blessed are those who keep on giving day after day after day. And blessed are those who withhold the punishment that someone deserves so that they can experience the love that they don't. But why are the merciful blessed? What did Jesus mean by saying blessed are the merciful? Well, Jesus went on to say in verse 7 of Matthew 5, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The merciful can look forward in confidence to the future, knowing that they have nothing to fear from that day of judgment. Because they know that they will always experience God's mercy and grace. But why? Why is that? Well, this isn't because they have somehow earned God's mercy and grace through their merciful actions to others. That kind of thinking just doesn't make sense, does it? Paul says in Titus 3 and 5 that God saved us Not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. We are not saved through our good living or our generous acts. We are saved through God's mercy. And for mercy to be mercy, it must be undeserved. It's a gift given out of compassion and love, not a wage it's given because someone's earned it. So as we've seen many times, we can't work our way to be right with God. We can only come to God and be right with Him through the mercy and grace of God expressed for us on the cross. So it's not that we receive mercy because we've earned it. But rather, it is that being merciful in our lives is the evidence that we have received it. It's the evidence that we have received it. John wrote in his first letter, whoever does not love God, sorry, whoever does not love, does not know God. Because God is love. If we have absolutely no concern for those around us, if we don't care about those who are in need, If we are completely self-centered and self-absorbed, then John says we can't claim to know God whose heart pours out love with every beat. You cannot say you love God if you don't love others. The two are completely incomparable. That's because nothing moves us to be merciful to others more than experiencing God's amazing mercy. John says later, we love because he first loved us. When we come to the cross of Jesus, 
and see God's unconditional love for us when we were still sinners. When we understand that he suffered all of that because of our sin and because of our rebellion. When we sincerely repent and accept his sacrifice for us. When we put our faith in him and receive his full and free forgiveness and acceptance. When we go through that, we are changed forever. By his spirit, his love comes flooding into our hearts. A deep and passionate love for God. And an unconditional and growing love for other people. And so our love for others is evidence that we've experienced God's love for us. Our compassion for those in need is a confirmation that we've understood how much God has reached down to us when we were in desperate need. And our willingness to forgive other people's sin, the sins that they've committed against us, demonstrated that we have truly repented and experienced God's forgiveness of our sins against him. That's why the two are connected. Our merciful attitude to others assures us that we are among those who have trusted in Jesus and will ultimately receive mercy from him. But I think this also helps us to understand how we can grow in mercy. As we realise that that mercy is not fully expressed in any of our lives. Because if compassion and care for other people is an expression of and a response to the compassion and care of God in our lives. Then to grow in that love for others. We just simply need to grow in our experience of, in our understanding of, in our appreciation of God's love to us. Because it's not about our love for other people. It's about being a channel of God's love to them. So this is what Paul prayed for the Ephesians. He said, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. If we see that we are lacking in that mercy and love and compassion to others, We just need to spend more time with our Heavenly Father and allow His love to fill our hearts and overflow to others who are in need. So this is the blessed life. It's not lived by those who look after themselves and ignore the needs of the world. Instead it's lived by those who in response to God's amazing mercy care deeply for others. Give sacrificially. Provide consistently. And love unconditionally. The blessed life is lived by those who, like the Good Samaritan, are willing to step in 
and change the story of people's lives.